think. Hayes. He might be too far out, I think. Could Lenny find the distance from here? He's looking for Goddard, I think. Well, Graham. Yeah, Collingwood will be uh, certainly covering those uh, long-range kickers. He's just going to take this on his shoulders himself. Well, he's a man for a big occasion, we know that. But can he get the distance? He's pumped it hard. He's pumped it long. Yeah. He's kicked the goal. Lenny Hayes found a meter when he needed it. Well, it is our pleasure this week. We were lucky enough to have this chat lined up uh, a week or so ago. And then obviously with the news of the last few days, it's uh, rather timely and, and certainly rather deserved. Uh, one of the all-time greats of the club, 297 games, three best and fairest, uh, four-time All-Australian. And unfortunately, the only St Kilda player ever to win a Norm Smith medal. I'm sure a lot of us wish that that was a little bit different, but uh, he does have that honour around his neck from the 2010 drawn grand final. I speak of uh, Lenny Hayes. Lenny, congratulations and uh, thanks for joining us. No, thanks for having me on. So I guess going back to, to where it all began, because you would have thought a lot about that this week, I'm, I'm sure, when, it, when we reflect on the journey. You were a, a young kid from uh, north of the border who arrived at Moorabbin and was playing games at Waverley. I guess we've got to go back that far under uh, under Tim Watson. Can you take us through, I guess, those formative years that uh, that led you to uh, to Moorabbin and, and those first impressions? Yeah, I just, uh, I guess, um, playing sort of AFL up here in Sydney, um, you know, just the dream of, of playing AFL and, and um, even the pathway to get there wasn't quite known to me as a youngster, but um, sort of as I got a little bit older and started making a few sort of rep teams, um, one thing sort of led to another and ended up um, getting picked up by the Saints uh, with, with pick 11 in the draft, which I was absolutely wrapped about. Um, a chance to come down to Melbourne and, and play for a Melbourne team that had a lot of history. Um, it was a dream come true. So, yeah, it was, it was a thrill. I'll, I'll never forget my first day walking into the club uh, my mum and I had driven down from Sydney. It was raining um, as, as it came in Melbourne. Um, and the first person I saw as I walked into the club was Jason Cripps uh, pumping out about 130 kilos on the bench press. So I immediately thought I'm in the wrong place here. Um, but yeah, just that, those early years were, were unbelievable. Um, so many like, just legends of the game at the club. To walk in there as an 18-year-old was, um, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Lenny, did you, did you cop any, any shit from uh, mates growing up when, when you were playing the aerial, aerial ping pong back in the day? Oh, I certainly did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like uh, almost, almost daily, really, at school. Because uh, there's only sort of two other guys at the school who played AFL. So it was just, you know, that was a, it was a game that um, grown men wore tight shorts um, in. And, uh, you know, but I used to go back to them, well, at least I don't sniff bums for a living. So... <laughs> Um, as most rugby players do. So, but there was, there was always a bit of banter. But it's funny now, like AFLs, you know, it's become really popular here in Sydney, which is which is great. Who who was it you actually what looked up to when you were growing up? Who who were the stars that were actually known in the game? Because as you say, only a few people really probably followed the AFL. But what really pushed you towards the AFL instead of NRL? I think um, the original probably influence was my dad, who was from Victoria. So he, he was a mad North Melbourne supporter. Um, so he he always would watch it of a weekend. And I guess lucky enough that, you know, the Swans, um, you know, obviously relocated up here in the mid-80s or early 80s. Um, that coincided with sort of my childhood. So we'd go every week. And I think once I went to a few games and 
joined up at Pennant Hills um, Junior Footy Club, um, I was hooked. You know, so early, early sort of heroes were, you know, the, the Swans teams of the of the eighties, you know, late eighties with, you know, Jared Healy, Greg Williams, you know, Warwick Kappa, you know, the wizard back in the day. And and sort of as I got older, like um, you know, guys like Robert Harvey, Shane Crawford, those elite midfielders were, were guys that I really looked up to. Obviously certain things you can teach, certain things you can't teach. So you were the game's most prolific tackler up until I think Matty Pritis might have rolled just past that slightly in, in numbers. But you can teach people how to kick. You can teach people how to run, how to tackle, how to jump. You, you probably can't teach appetite, hunger, ferocity. You were noted as, as just about the best we've ever seen at that constant tenacity. Stephen Baker referenced it during the week. That it's 100 points up, 100 points down with a minute to go. You're still banging in. Uh, can you pinpoint where you developed that? Has it always sort of been inside you that, that's sort of made you that, I guess, warrior-type player, if you will? Uh, I think I was pretty competitive as a youngster. Um, you know, mum used to tell the story that we'd be playing Monopoly and I would always change sides to whoever had the, the most hotels and motels because uh, I hated losing. Um, but... I think also, I reckon Grant Thomas had a fair bit to do with it. You know, our mantra um, when he came on board was 100% effort, 100% of the time and being uh, mentally mentally and physically really tough. Um, so I, I think I definitely probably had it in me, but I thought Grant brought out the best of that in me and, and a lot of other guys as well. Lenny, how do you feel about the, the comparisons for a long time uh, during your career you were compared with Jude Bolton, who obviously went a couple of picks earlier and was a Saints fan growing up. You went pick eleven to St Kilda uh, as the Swans fan. How did you how did you deal with that at the time? Because for a while there, Jude was I guess the more accomplished player earlier in his career. But how how did you kind of deal with those kind of constant comparisons through through the career? Yeah, it's a funny one. I've um, sort of made contact with Jude over the last couple of days. He obviously still lives here in Sydney, so we bump into each other every now and again. And, our careers have sort of been um, intertwined almost the whole way throughout. You know, we even played under-18s TAC Cup against each other. He played for the Calder Cannons and he was someone I just always admired. You know, he was the he was the gun on baller from Victoria um, and then, you know, had an unbelievable career at the Swans. Um, and it was just funny, yeah, he backed for the Saints. I was a Swans man. Um, we ended up playing a similar position, you know, probably played a similar style. Um, and just admired, you know, his longevity. You know, he, he never got injured for a guy that it always baffled me how he could look so pretty too the way he played the game. Um, but yeah, just had just had the ultimate respect for him. Um, so I guess those comparisons at times probably did drive me as well. There's no doubt um, there's a little bit of competition between draftees who go in the draft and who gets games earlier and who can be the first one in the 50 or 100 games. So I reckon that probably drove both of us throughout periods of our careers. Now, speaking of tackles and the like sort of thing, going back to basically your first game, obviously it's something that's been talked about a lot. Um, truthfully, how much do you remember of what actually happened right at that moment? <laughs> um, we do know you got straight back up, but how long did it actually take to sink in? But this is, this is the big time. Oh, yeah, I think... Um, I said to someone earlier, I've never, I was never hit that hard for the rest of my career. So, um, and it was just a totally legal hit. I think, I think he actually might have even got reported for it, but it was, it was a clean hit straight up the middle. So I wasn't actually concussed. He just, I just couldn't breathe. Like he knocked the, knocked the bejesus out of me. So um, I think from that moment, um, 
you know, I always used to think that I had a pretty good sidestep, but I reckon I probably made sure I was even even better the next time we played North Melbourne. Um, but yeah, it's probably one of those moments, you know, the welcome to the big league, just your classic, you know, um, 18 year old versus seasoned veteran. And I guess I thought um, after I got up and could sort of keep playing that I'm probably not going to get hit any harder than that. So it was almost like a, a you know, build a little bit of confidence too that. You know, whilst I, it was going to take me a little while so I could throw my weight around, at least um, I, I knew I could sort of cop it and get back up. Just your thoughts on some of the coaches you've, you've had during your career. Obviously, you, were, you arrived just after a, a coaching change. Stan Ells had been moved on. Tim Watson just took over. He was gone probably 18 months into your journey as a, a player. Malcolm Blight came and, and went within a season. And then obviously Grant Thomas and, and Ross Lyon during a very stable and, and ultimately fairly successful period for the, the Saints. So I guess... But you as a young player, impressions on on Tim and then Malcolm, and then I guess how the club gradually grew under the uh, under the next two coaches. Yeah, I think um, you know, lucky enough to play under um, a few coaches, and I think the thing is, like, uh, like I probably feel like Grant and and Ross probably had the most influence on my career, but definitely picked up different things. So Tim Watson, um, he, he taught me how to be a professional. You know, he used to speak to me about. You know, you're going to have a program, but if you're going to be successful in this game, you've got to go above and beyond it. So whether that's looking after your body midweek, um, you can't just do the program. So little things like that as a young player, um, you know, certainly thank him for that. Blighty was such a lateral thinker, um, you know, just, you know, I'd, I'd, obviously only my third year when, when we had him, but just had the utmost respect for what he'd done in the game. And, and some of his ideas on the game were just brilliant. Very left field. Um, I like playing under him. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. Um, and then Grant came along, and I, I felt he really galvanised the club, um, brought us together. Um, we had a bit of a blend of experience when um, traded and got guys like Gehrig and Hamill and um, you know, some of these experienced guys, and obviously got some really good draft picks in his time. So, yeah, and then. Um, you know, had some some relative success on the ground. I thought he was a great man manager, great coach. Um, and then sort of on to Ross, who was probably early in his career, was probably more the other way, more of a tactical um, mastermind um, in terms of football. But over a year or two period, really built up that man management. And, and he was just a brilliant coach as well. So really lucky, you know, to, to have some, some great coaches, even... Um, you know, a little bit of time under Scott. And then I, I really, you know, I only had a year under Richo, um, but I had a really good relationship with him. And he, Malcolm Blight spoke a little bit this week about his experience with you. Obviously, as, as you mentioned, it was only a short one, but uh, he, he mentioned that you were one of the few people to, to kind of go on steam or, or give him a call. You around the corner, I think he said, because his house was under siege the day that he was sacked <laughs> or, or the day after. And what, I mean, you, you kind of spoke about what you took from him and, and his football brain and the way that he thought but how what was the reaction amongst the playing group and and why were you one of the only ones who who went to see him was there was there other kind of negative thinking around the group at, at the time well it's hard to it's hard to um probably answer for other guys but i i just felt like he he believed in me as a young player um you know kenny hinckley was his assistant coach with peter jonas and I just thought they were a good group of guys. Now, whether whether Blighty was ready for what he was walking into at our club, you know, he'd come away from successful stints at Geelong and Adelaide, and I think we're a long way off where those sides were. Um, so, 
I just felt um, a fair bit of empathy for how it all went down, you know, like he stood up in front of the group and, um, you know, had pretty much just been sacked, wished us well in his career and walked out. And that was sort of it. And I was, I just felt like I had to, you know, just thank him for his time and, and for the belief that he showed in me. Now, going back to GT again, he had the, uh, the thought of having rotating captains might be good for the club in the future and bringing leaders through. And um, he chose yourself and Aaron Hamill to be co-captains at one point. Um, and then on the back of that, you luckily were able to have the photo taken that everyone speaks about <laughs> holding the cup. Um, have you smiled for a photo since? Or <laughs> I have smiled for every single photo since that moment. <laughs> uh, it was a funny one. I get asked about that a bit, actually, and um, yeah, it was. It, we did have the rotating policy, and um, talking to actually Nick Rewald about this the other night. But in that preseason, we we set out to win that win that comp. So that that's pretty rare, like for a preseason comp. But Tomo was like, "No, nah, we're going to win this. We haven't got a winning culture in this football club at the moment, so we're going to win every game that we play." And we were lucky enough to, to do that. Um, the, the four teams that we played, we actually played them in reverse week, yeah. order at the start of the season. Yeah. And so when we'd won the game, I think, Tomo, and I, I, from memory, I reckon we hadn't had a beer that whole month because, I, I, you know, we we're pretty keen on winning. I think Tomo could maybe sense a little bit of, you know, a bit of a pressure release and, you know, could probably sense in the boys that uh, were ready to cut loose a little bit. And just before we got up there, I think there's a bit of mucking around. He came over and said, look, I reckon we just need to keep a lid on this. We've got Geelong in two weeks. Let's not give them any ammo. We obviously had a, a good rivalry with Geelong back then. And and that, as I said the other night, I think I just, I'd probably just taken that way too literally. I couldn't <laughs> crack it for half a smile. So I copped a bit, of, a bit of shit over that one. So obviously the 2009 and 2010 team, so perilously close. It's the, the, the lasting memory, I think, for a, a lot of people, obviously, over that era. It might be the, the disappointment at the end, but... It was such a, a wonderful journey. Could you sort of take us through, I guess, the key to, to how strong those sides were and, and whether, as somebody who was so brave for the club during that period and so good for the club in those grand finals, what is your lasting memory of, of that period? Is it the camaraderie and the success or does the mind occasionally go back to maybe those 10 or 15 minutes after the, uh, the final siren? Yeah, I think it's probably a mixture of both. The overriding sense is just how lucky, you know, we were to play in um, just really, really good teams like that. And and that's the thing that I've probably reflected on is just how many good players I've played with as well. So 2009 was the most fun year I've ever had, you know, bar the end of the season. But just, you know, to win 19 games in a row, um, to play in a side that was just unconditional in the way we went about it, um, that sort of really sort of, you know, probably tactically changed the game a little bit in terms of that forward press and manic pressure that, um, you know, Hawthorne had sort of done the, done the press, but we wanted to really get after him in that front half. It was just a lot of fun. You know, we'd rock up to games and we knew that if we played anywhere near our best, we we're going to win. And that's, um, it's pretty rare to have that at AFL level. So um, yeah, just obviously the end was disappointing. You know, the, the couple of games, I think we only lost what three games for that season. And one of them was on the last Saturday in September, which, you know, it still hurts, no doubt, because it hurts because, you know, we would have loved nothing more than the St Kilda faithful to, to be able to celebrate our second premiership. But also as a player, you know, you would have liked some of those, you know, guys that sometimes didn't get the recognition that, that say, myself or Nick or Dal or BJ got. You know, guys like, you know, Stephen Baker or Jason Blake, you know, 
you know, unfortunately, Max didn't play in that game. But a guy like Max Hudson in his last year would have been unbelievable if he could have played in a, a premiership um, with together. So, yeah, it, uh, it was a little bit bittersweet. It was a great year. It just didn't finish the way we wanted it to. The, the bond amongst you, you guys from that period is, is kind of folklore in, in St Kilda history at, at the moment. You, you hear guys like Nick Rewalt, who's a, you know, he's one of the harshest critics of footballers and especially teammates uh, that we've seen at St Kilda ever, but talks about you in like godlike terms. And uh, Stevie Baker out on Facebook this week talking about you as Superman and used to grab your jumper to try and grab a bit of your superhero powers, uh, you know, before games at half time, that sort of stuff. How, how do you feel about? you know, those guys um, talking about you in, in such glowing terms? I mean, how does that sit with you, um, you know, 10 years yeah. later? Oh, it doesn't sit all that comfortably with me. Uh, like, I, I really appreciate the words. Um, but, I, you know, I never saw myself like that. I was just one of, the, one of the guys who was just trying to, you know, it's a bit cliche, but just play their role. I never saw myself... Um, as anyone, you know, above anyone. Or I think the beauty of our group was that um, we're all very tight-knit. And I think you have to trace that back to Tomo. Tomo was the one that, you know, would always get us around to his place after games in pre-season. You know, we're always doing stuff together. He was really big on, you know... I don't know how many how many steaks that man cooked, or um, but he would have us over all the time, and um, and we just remained close. You know, even back then, we used to speak about taking less in our contracts, you know, to try and keep everyone together because we knew that if we could do that, we we're a chance of having success. So I think it was it was built off that, and just the the mutual respect, I guess, grows when you go through some of those good times, and and also some of those times are a little bit tougher as well. I think JT was used to cooking about 30 steaks to feed in his family anyway, wasn't he? So, <laughs> um, exactly right. Um, basically, a couple of things that held you back in your career. You had a couple of knee injuries that came up at um, 2006, first one, 2011 again against Tigers. Um, how, how did you get through those times where you're going, okay, I know I'm going to be out for an extended period of time here? What was your mindset in those situations? Yeah, it was, it was tough. I think, um, yeah, they were definitely some of the tougher times. I think, you know, you always, I've always had pretty good support. You know, um, early early in my career, that that first knee, uh, I actually went overseas with my brother for a couple of week period um, in the middle of my rehab there, which which was great. Uh, you know, because when I left home, my brother was eleven, um, so I think at the time he would have been about twenty one. So it was that that was really good, um, and then. I think for the second knee, um, you know, I, I was just about to get married. So I had great support around me with, with my future wife there. Um, and, and just you, you really rely on the support of your teammates and, and you just throw yourself in your rehab as well. So sort of like anything, you, you just try and remain focused on those small goals and then eventually be able to get back and get out there with the guys again. Final one from, from me, and, and we certainly appreciate your time. Um, looking at your career as a, as a whole, one thing that always comes up, we get polls in papers and internet and radio, and they say, who's your favourite opposition player if they don't barrack for the Saints? And, and you win nearly every one of those. Um, you know you're obviously adored and admired by St Kilda supporters, but are you proud of that almost more than anything that you've sort of crossed over as people who love the game, appreciate the way you played, and, and you've got that admiration from, from everybody in, in football, not just the, the supporters of your own club? 
Yeah, I guess I guess it's something that maybe in the way that I played that they could either identify with um, or, or respect it. You know, I tend to think it's because there's maybe traits that I had that maybe every park footballer had. You know, I wasn't quick. I couldn't. I never took a speck in my life. I probably couldn't kick over 45. Um, you know, most times I kicked the footy. Um, and then I, I tried to, I guess, play in a hard but sort of fair manner. Um, you know, they, they, you know, I probably maybe blurred the lines a few times. Like, you know, I still got suspended a few times, but people seem to forget about that. They still think I'm a good bloke. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. That you, I guess you don't really have any control over it, but, um, you know, I've always, always had pretty good support. And I guess, yeah, you're right. I guess upon reflection, pretty proud of that. Lenny, I don't think there's been a, a more apt kind of semi-marketing campaign than than your farewell tour and the the I love Lenny hashtag <laughs> and and the you know the boys famously at the at the press conference wearing the t-shirts. You didn't look all that happy with it. What's the, what's the story around that? <laughs> yeah, well, it, yeah, I think in hindsight I probably should have waited um, to to make the call, but. There was a conversation, you know, obviously the club that year, we were really struggling. You know, I think we were bottom of the ladder. Um, there was seven or eight rounds to go. I knew in my head early in the season that I wasn't going to play on um, and sort of spoke to Richo and I'm like, mate, I think, I think I need to make this call, just take a little bit of pressure off people asking me all the time and just want to enjoy the last few weeks of, you know, my career. And um, he, he was all for it. Then the club sort of said, oh, look, you know, what do you, I said, look, if you can see, you know, we can market a little bit or, you know, if the club can make a little bit of money in the last couple of weeks of the season, then go for it, you know, sort of thing. So um, I didn't quite know what they had in store. And when they've all, all the boys walked out with the shirts on, I was taken a little bit back. I think to make matters worse, the boys knew how much I hated it. So they kept running with it. Well, speak of. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Had to do it. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very nice. Now, um, as a, uh, I guess a final, but you mentioned um, that you couldn't kick it over forty-five meters. I do remember one famous instance where we needed you two most, and you certainly did do that in the uh, in the two thousand and ten drawing grand final. But you were inducted into the Hall of Fame during the week, and it was a little bit different to normal. What what normally happens, obviously, at those events is big crowds and family and friends and lots of people around in the uh, in Crown Palladium. Obviously, it was a slightly different experience. So, uh, generally, the crowd would be asked to sort of stand up and and, and give a toast and. And, and say cheers to, to those that have done it. So we thought we would uh, honour you in that way as well ourselves on this uh, <laughs> particular night with a, uh, a cheers to, uh, to Lenny Hayes and your place in the uh, in the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much for, for joining us. You, you are a superstar. You, you have been uh, admired and loved by St Kilda supporters. Good luck with everything going forward and well done on the, uh, the due recognition for an outstanding career. Thanks very much, guys. Pleasure.